Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Burned, the CTO at Software AG, and we discuss how getting customer feedback early can give startups an edge over the competition, why every company should become a truly connected enterprise, and how companies will need to redefine their missions in order to do so. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So are you out in Germany? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Düsseldorf, a smallish town in the western part of Germany uh, next to the River Rhine, right? So so it's uh, it's perceived or seen as uh, the capital of the Rhine area of Germany, right? So it's quite industrial city, but uh, the center is very, very nice, Puturisk, you know, very nice old buildings and, you know, so very um, touristic in a sense, yeah. Do you think the fact that it's very industrial has made it a hub for IoT providers? I, I think so. Yes, we have actually. We're quite a funny. It's a funny city. I have been. Uh, I actually born and grew up in Düsseldorf, right? But then I have been working abroad for many years. Uh, more than fifteen years, I have been away. But when I founded my own company, which we probably have the time to discuss later on, and I moved back to Düsseldorf, you know, because of that, because it's actually a quite nice, easy, convenient place to live. Small city, international airport, but you have some of the biggest European corporate headquarters in close proximity. Yeah. So it's very, very, comf- very easy actually to build and retain relationships with key decision makers across the uh, corporate level. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, some some really industrial companies like I don't know ThyssenKrupp or automotive car manufacturers close by, you know, and Volkswagen, Mercedes, and a couple of others. They're all, you know, in about hundred kilometer radius. So it's very easy to reach, very easy to reach. So you said you traveled around a lot. You got to explore and live abroad. The first time you left uh, your hometown, what was that like? Well, you mean on the job uh, assignment basis? So uh, actually, um, yeah, it's a strange experience, you know, to be perfectly frank. First time leaving family and friends behind. And I actually moved to to California, to Los Angeles, you know, just when I graduated my first studies as a software engineer, you know, I actually got on an uh, assignment in the US. And um, yeah, that felt quite, um, quite strange. I remember that. That is, uh, I have to say, a few years ago, you know, it was 94. So it's... uh, (laughs) It's changed a lot. (laughs) It's changed a lot. Actually, um, I have been on business then traveling a bit to North uh, California. No, I was based in uh, Los Angeles, but uh, actually our client was uh, was uh, based in the Bay Area. And I remember Bay Area today and in 94, completely different. I mean, probably if you would be really experienced, you could have foreseen what could what, what what is going to happen but i was too unexperienced i didn't really see what's going to happen there yeah so i i just remember um after a year i wanted to move back uh, to germany to see my friends family and and um i didn't really realize the momentum and the um situation what was emerging 
in the Silicon Valley. You know, when you think about it from today's point of view, might be a missed opportunity. You never know. On the other hand, you know, I I enjoyed uh, being back home as well. You know? And did you learn English as a kid? Because your English is fantastic. No, thank you very much. No, actually, uh, the reason why I moved uh, to an international assignment was because I wanted to learn English. Yeah? So I had <laughs> actually I had a very funny situation in my uh, early uh, phases. I went, um, you know, from a software engineering school. I went. Um, to apply to a Scandinavian company, which was actually Nokia, you know, uh, Nokia mm -hmm. from your, probably from your times and, and used to be the leader in mobile communication and mobile phones before actually uh, it has, uh, you know, Apple took over on the uh, smartphone side, etc. But uh, I applied for a job here. They had uh, actually they have a large resource and engineering center. They used to have a large resource engineering center, about five thousand people, so quite a large um, development team. I applied for uh, a software engineering position in Nokia, and actually they liked me. They wanted to hire me, but told me, "Listen, your English is so bad. You know, we have an international setup here. Everyone speaks English. So you actually should either commit yourself to learn English, you know, um, or we cannot hire you, you know. So, um, and with the commitment they meant, they actually suggested I should go six months abroad and come back. That was their actually opinion. So they were quite, quite interesting recommendation. But you know what? I, I really like that um, because, um, they told, I, I, and I remember I had an interview. They were so, they were extremely fast growing at that time. You know, mobile communication just emerged. You know, remember a few, two, three years earlier, people were carrying a, a, a suitcase, half, half, uh, you know, big, big things around in order to have mobile communication. And then these, these new digital cellular communication just emerged. You know, that people, mainly business people at that time, in 93, mainly business people used mobile phones for communication, right? And they were actually one of the global leaders, turned out to be anyhow one of the global leaders in that first wave of mobile communication. And they have they, they, they grow so fast that they had actually uh, to interview you in hotel rooms because they had no meeting rooms available because they turned their meeting rooms into, you know, working places, right? So they were really growing fast. And so I remember when I had my interviews I, I, and they told me that they liked me, they would like to hire me, but my English isn't good enough. So um, I went back to the elevator and there was actually kind of a mirror in that door, right? With the door closed, and I looked at the mirror. So I looked into my own face, you know, saying, so what was that all about, you know? And, and then before I arrived at, uh, at the ground floor, I made the decision to go to California. Yeah? So that was already kind of, it took me maybe 10 seconds or so that I was actually saying, hmm, if that happens so early in your professional career, what's happening in a few years from now? So I really identified a, uh, a weakness or a spot, you know, which I need to work on. And and then uh, because a good friend of mine was staying there, and he asked me before if I want to join him on an in, on a consultancy assignment. Yeah. Uh, so I was, it was quite easy for me then to make that uh, decision, obviously. As a kid, were you really into technology? Um, not too much, honestly, not too much. Um, I think I have been a bit, um, you know, my 
my father is, has been, uh, he has been working in the financial service industry, so completely different. However, I'm uh, from a large family, so I've been, um, uh, I'm the seventh kid, right? I have five brothers and one sister. And you can imagine what happened. I was actually the youngest. I'm the youngest, you know, and I learned a lot from my brothers, to be perfectly honest, on technology side. You know, one of my brothers was very much into computers and stuff. And I looked over the shoulder and learned my stuff there. Uh, another one, he was very much in um, creating engineering stuff. Uh, so he built his first PC almost, you know, by by doing uh, buying a lot of stuff and, and so on. So I, I guess I personally, I wasn't too much into technology, but... Because of that surroundings, I picked up a lot, which I believe was above average. You know, I'm curious. I want to talk a little bit about what Software AG does, but I do have a question. So Germany is known for like high quality, excellence, engineering. Why is that? That's actually an interesting question. So why is that? I guess the uh, market expectation, the expectation of of consumers the consumer expectation has a, a very high desire of quality so if people buy something they want the things to work in a quality sense you know if people build houses yeah they build houses in a proper way here in germany you cannot imagine how how proper it is you know you build you have the cellar you have stones you have concretes you have you know if it's not a a, a properly built house it's perceived low quality, you know? So it's kind of interesting. I think the whole culture is very much about experiencing quality and appreciating quality. I think people are also willing to pay for that. Yeah? I think on average, I, when I, I remember when I went uh, the second time to the US, so I have uh, two times uh, working experience in the, um, in the US, you know, when, when you drive an American car, great experience, However, if you compare it with a German car, let's put it in keeping the stereotypes, you know, a BMW or Mercedes or Volkswagen or Audi, yeah, it drives nicer. It drives more, um, yeah, it feels the, it feels more convenient to drive and so on. And uh, but it's also more expensive, you know. But still, people buy these expensive cars in Germany because they like, you know, they like quality stuff. Yeah. So I think the whole culture, the whole market is very much driven by uh, quality experience and people are ready to pay for it. I think that's, uh, that's uh, an important driver for then uh, companies to build quality products into the market because if people are ready to pay for it, you know, then of course it makes sense. And I think that's kind of a, I would call it a positive feedback loop. I don't know if that makes sense. So, oh, 100%. The consumer yeah. and, and 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 corporates working hand in hand to to um, create that uh, type of um, quality experience uh, and sometimes it's also bad you know in today's in today's environments it's actually a negative thing as well because when you have that tradition of quality high quality you know if you think about software engineering and beta releases and agility and testing the market, getting core customer feedback, offering a half ready product in order to launch it and collect, uh, you know, uh, impression feedbacks and so on. It is sometimes 
against the cultural aspects of quality. Yeah? You see that in our engineering teams, for example. You, know? you have to push them to say, listen, that's good enough to get out as a beta and collect feedback. So it's, it's sometimes, uh, you know, it can also be a negative thing. It's not always a positive one. So it's, you started, like, let's just say Germany was building great products. They started to get a reputation, which farther reinforced a culture of appreciation of quality. And then it just kind of cycled in positive feedback loop. And, and now it's, yeah, I could see it. It has pros and it has cons. You want to be able to ship software. And so in the nuance and the details of helping the engineer see how it is good enough, like you can, you know, cut scope but not sacrifice the quality of what you're building. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, thank you for that perspective. Yeah, I guess maybe I, um, uh, if I may add to that, uh, if you think about uh, processes in a, in a corporate environment, in today's world, people or, or new talents, uh, you know, generation, younger generations, they expect you to offer uh, flexibility, lean management structures, uh, empowerment. They want in in young in young ages take ownership, responsibilities, and when you have um, a very um, static corporate model, let's put it in this way, I believe that's an uh, it's uh, it, you know that has also a negative side. I mean, I, it's not only German. I think you have that in 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 US in North America in the same way, right? You have large 100%. corporates with with very well-defined process-oriented structures and hierarchies. And I think all these traditional industry-driven um, economies facing uh, challenges, right? And the difference here is that in North America, you have that originally this innovation hub of Silicon Valley, which helped actually role model a new way of uh, corporate governance and, and structure, which of course have been applied sooner in many other uh, uh, environments and in companies across North America, you know. I mean, you have a lot of innovation hubs nowadays in North America related to software and internet. It's not just the Bay Area, right? And uh, But I think um, that, of course, has been um, a tremendous success for the North American economy, um, something it took many more years for Europe to gain momentum. I think in Europe, we have been able to set up modern, I would call it, a new corporate structures and styles and innovation clusters, but it took much longer uh, because of, uh, of the missing uh, kind of a Bay Area or a Silicon Valley um, drive um, that it took just a few years longer. Yeah. And did you, when you founded a company, did you do it in Germany or in Silicon Valley? Well, that's an interesting one. Actually, uh, I did do that in Silicon Valley. So I was based in Silicon Valley when I um, uh, created, um, actually, I created the idea there for about 18 months. But then I founded the company in Germany. The, the business, the company, which, uh, which I founded, co-founded together with uh, three um, uh, colleagues, uh, it's actually Cumulosity. Um, it's an IoT uh, platform. And the, the, the basic idea, it's, it's focused on B2B market. It's, it helps enterprises to create IoT 
ins, to gain IoT insights and generate applications and operationalize these insights. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a platform for B2B business. And when we created the idea that was in 2010, so 10, more than 10 years ago, we realized at that point of time that Silicon Valley, so Mountain View, we were actually based in Mountain View, was probably not the right location for a B2B business for uh, helping industrial companies to uh, automate. Um, because we, we just looked around us and we saw a lot of great innovations and software companies. But at that point of time, also a lot of B2C innovations kind of uh, social uh, networks and, and, and et cetera. And, and we kind of felt that the probability for us to gain momentum in an industrial Internet of Things environment was actually better at our, in Central Europe. That was our gut feeling uh, at that point of time. And it worked? It worked. Apparently it worked. You know, we kind of, uh, we went uh, then, uh, we founded the company in 2012 and we, we became um, quite, quite successful in a very short time. So we gained some um, lead customers here in Germany and we were able to scale it up internationally. It worked actually in, in that situation that uh, we had, uh, for example, customers from Australia or Japan or South Africa. And we have been only had, uh, operating three offices in Europe. Yeah? So we only, you know, internationalized in Europe. But we got these requests from these customers and they actually came over to see us here in Düsseldorf. Yeah? I remember uh, a delegation from Japan, you know, they're coming with a, a few few people, you know, I think eight people. They visited us for a week here in Germany to buy our software, you know. So that was a good sign. You know, we had no no person in Southeast Asia, no one in Japan, still they wanted to buy our software. And same happened with a client in Australia, you know, no one in Australia, no one in, in Asia, still they wanted to get our software. And it was a B2B software. Yeah? And so they came over and, 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 and negotiated the agreement with us. So in a sense, when, when that happened, I, I knew we are on something, you know, so that was <laughs> good sign. Yeah. What was the major value proposition for them to spend money on your software? Um, you know, when uh, at the early days, when you look at the um, Internet of Things um, uh, business, uh, you could see that, um, I mean, that's the, the reason why we founded it really. Yeah? Before answering your question, maybe it's good to just uh, look Please. into uh, a reason why we founded the company. Because what we saw is that we, we, there was enormous price reduction in, in the embedded engineering world. So, so we, we anticipated that there will be a time when sensors, professional sensors, become so affordable and also the way to connect these sensors and get data into the cloud or on your edge computing devices, the embedded engineering cost were dramatically reducing 20, 25% a year, per, every year. And the, the way to connect these things to so the connectivity cost, we anticipated also massive price drop that was based on my um, experience with Nokia. So by the way, when I came back from the US, I took the job with Nokia. You know, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Oh, you got the job. You learned uh, English. Got, you went yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Got... Yeah, yeah. I, nice. got, I went back and I took the job with Nokia on the on the mobile communication side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but anyhow, the price reduction on the devices, on the machines, on the things to connect, 
the connectivity reduction was happening. But what was really missing was on the solution side, uh, we, we identified that people were, uh, you know, building bespoke solution every time again and again and again. Even so, it was hosted in the cloud or virtualized in the cloud. It wasn't like a container architecture like you have today. So it was really virtualization architectures in the cloud but um, or in private data centers. But we felt the investment to uh, generate solutions and analytics for industrial IoT was quite heavy. And, and we didn't see anyone really to optimize this cost. So we created an IoT platform, which had about 80% as reusable, like a toolbox. 80% was reusable software elements, software components. And we um, and companies using this platform could easily build their solutions on top, right? An application enablement platform was the name. You would give it a name today like that. When we did it in 2010, it wasn't really available. And we made that available natively in the cloud. So our clients could run their own dedicated cloud with a multi-tenant native environment. And, you know, and that was new. Yeah, that wasn't really available. So time to market, cost to operate it, very, 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 very small and very efficient to operate in the cloud. Multi-tenant, you can could run hundreds, thousands of customers in one instance. You, you need only one cloud instance and still have data separated for your end customers. So these customers who came to us couldn't find that into the market otherwise. Yeah, it was really for them a way to create a solution business in the IoT domain with hundreds of end customers uh, using the platform. And it was white labeling as well. So they could brand it with their own brand and generate their own digital service environment in, in an instant. So very valuable. Did you meet with a lot of different potential customers while you were building the product? How did you align the product, the first versions of the product, knowing that this is what the customers would need? Yeah, that's an excellent, uh, excellent question, because that was the biggest challenge. I mean, I think it's in any startup, the biggest challenge. I'm today also, you know, as a CTO of Software AG, uh, I'm still also involved because I'm very interested in it in many um, startups. Um, uh, you know, I'm a business angel, I'm coach, I'm mentor, I'm, I'm active in, in many startups because it, I'm, it's just enjoyable for me. I like it a lot. And, and the biggest the biggest question, there are two key questions I feel for building your startup, two main fundamental questions, really. One is, um, are you meeting the market requirements? And not just current, but also the future market requirements. That's very important, yeah? Because if you're just focusing where the puck is at the moment, you know, you're too late. So as a startup, you have to have that innovation, that, that edge that you are ahead of the curve. You need to be ahead. So you need actually to focus on your future market requirements, not just what, what is currently understood and available, because that is also probably done by larger competitors. Yeah? You might be able to gain a, a slight time advantage, but not enough to build. And that's the second challenge. You go to market. So it's really anticipating the future needs, but in an at least 18, 24 months horizon, 
and build and so that you get enough time to build your go-to-market, you know? So if you focus on what is today, I would probably say it will be always difficult to gain momentum. And we have been, in a sense, with Comolosity, and it's very hard to time. It's almost impossible. So we have been probably three years too early with our technology. So the first three years have been very difficult, very difficult. What we then did, because the market wasn't really ready to to, to really appreciate the value proposition what we had, uh, what we did in that three years then, to answer your question, we we decided to create co-innovations with customers so that customers get their solutions they wanted and we improve the platform. So we kind of met in the middle. And the benefit for the clients, we gave them a co-innovation, we gave them actually a, a discount. So rather than, uh, um, but we kept the IPR. So basically the co-innovation was set up in a way that the customer wanted to have a solution and didn't really appreciate a platform-based solution with multi-tenancy and all of that stuff and device management and so on. But they wanted to have a solution in the IoT domain. We gave them the solution, but based it on our platform. And that was um, more or less zero profitable. It wasn't really profitable, but we advanced our product for market requirements and got paying customers onto our platform. So we kind of generated lighthouse references, how how you would call them today. And and the customers have been happy as well because they got what they wanted, uh, but they didn't really appreciate it platform. They appreciate at that time, uh, you know, in 2012, 13, 14, they wanted to have bespoke solutions rather than ready platforms, product platforms. And so we gave them something which they really didn't appreciate. That's why we needed to find a different model. And for us, it was the co-innovation model to make um, to make it happen. Well, I think that's brilliant because you had this idea, you brought it into the market, but the market wasn't purchasing in line with the vision of the future. The market was push, uh, purchasing on a legacy bespoke model. So you had to adapt your, your process. You were able to generate cash, pay the bills, improve the product, and then the market caught up and you had that vision and you saw it coming and you stuck with it and you survived until it became reality. And so as a as a fellow founder, I love that. I love hearing that. It's the most difficult thing in the world, and uh, I know how much work it is. So, awesome job! Thank you very much. It, it sounds. Uh, I mean, if uh, let me also be honest with you, it 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 took us three years really to really then uh, verify that our vision, uh, that our uh, product vision, was really demanded from the market. It could have also turned out the other way, right? So. Uh, so that's that's always the risk you when you hear that stories it's always nice and hey sounds good uh, i agree and at the end of the day it was the right thing to do and we have been lucky that we actually pursued that strategy and but actually there have been also times you know where you start to wonder hmm what if if it's really adding value is it really are people really needing a cloud native cloud platform to create the solutions and is the time to market really so important for them how about the operational cost and so so you caught you you were really questioning yourself 
in that phase as well. So it was a very difficult phase, I have to admit. You know, it wasn't so so easy as it might sound. Yeah, but uh, well, we like the highlight reel. We like when it sounds very <laughs> succinct and perfect. Um, the reality of it is you go through ups and downs and there's doubt. When you were feeling doubt, like we all do, all entrepreneurs feel doubt, right? It's just something you learn to manage. How would you respond to that doubt? Um, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, not sleeping very well, you know, so that's, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I remember times uh, in that uh, situation, we also went for venture capital, right? So we did also, because, you know, my ambition was that I really foresaw um, a big market opportunity here with an IoT platform and also knew that others will follow. And I also saw startups popping up, you know, and that domain, even so I knew our technology, we have been uh, really very solid, very experienced engineering team. Uh, but I also wanted to accelerate our growth um, and especially engineering team. So we needed uh, VC funding and uh, we grow, we got funding and we needed another round, you know how it goes, right? And and there have been times where I was actually wondering how to pay the bill for, you know, how to pay salaries for, for our whole team, you know, as a CEO, uh, you know, um, I had a, a very, very luxury situation that um, we had a, a founder team, four founders, knew, we knew each other very well. Actually, the team was working with me when I was in a management position at Nokia, right? So we, we all uh, moved uh, gears and went into that startup. And uh, I could share everything with them. I knew I could trust them and share everything. Uh, also that I was saying, listen, we need to be careful. We are running in two, three months out of money if we don't sign that uh, funding round. Uh, and, and so, um, and then it got even tighter and so on. So, so in a sense, uh, that was such a good position for me to share these responsibilities. You have, you have a 50, 60 people team and you are, you know, running out of money. It's a difficult situation, you know, and there have been different reasons for that. But I believe every startup faces critical situations. And I see founders who are afraid to share that with their teams, you know, and I'm really, I'm really, I feel very sorry for them because that burden is such a, at least for me, it's a tough burden. It's, it's crushing. And it's heavy. It's crushing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you cannot share that, it's even, it's, it's even uh, more difficult to, to, to manage. And um, yeah, I think, and that way, you know, everything turned out to be really nice for us, you know, for the founders, for, for us. We succeeded, as I mentioned, you know, we had even such a demand from international clients that we were able to um, to grow. And then we, we, we actually run into, uh, we became a victim of our own success in a sense. We, we doubled, we even sometimes tripled our revenues and then we, we, couldn't, we couldn't fulfill uh, we couldn't deliver the project, so we really had issues on that, and um, and then we um, basically um, decided to um, to start with an with a uh, with an exit, uh, or we start to look into the market who could accelerate growth, who could help us uh, in a professional sense to help uh, to scale up the whole operation, right? And we have been below hundred people still but growing nicely. And um, 
And, you know, we had to, uh, we entertained a couple of um, uh, discussions with various uh, interested strategic uh, buyers. And it turned out to be Software AG, you know, a German software company, not well known, yeah? even not well known to us. I remember, you know, we had to, when we, when we discussed with the management team of Software AG, I remember I, I didn't know them very well before, right? So, so I knew SAP, but not Software AG, you know, so. Yeah, and uh, we sold to, um, we actually teamed up with Software AG and uh, it turned out to be the right, uh, the right thing to do. Yeah? I'm still there, you know, I'm, I'm not the CTO of Software AG, you know, so that's kind <laughs> of the, uh, <laughs> one of the proof points. Yeah? They're a large company. They have thousands of engineers, right? Yes, uh, 5,000 people um, uh, operating in 70 countries. Very successful company. Yeah? What's their main line of business? Well, it's an interesting one. Uh, uh, it used to be integration. I don't know if you ever come along with a, a product name, WebMessage. WebMessage is a middleware integration platform to basically create these kind of um, IT enterprise integrations, like you connect your SAP system with your CRM and with your oh, other like a Zapier. ITs. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know Zapier exactly. That's a that's an um, sales service UI. But in the background, you need connectors to create these integrations. And Zapier is a cloud-based tool. And in twenty years earlier, it used to be IT tools, right? That's uh, that's the web message tool. You know, one of the global market leaders creating integrations for enterprise IT on-prem. Yeah. And of course, it has been completely modernized. It's now cloud, cloud native as well. But the origin is really 5,000 customers using that. Fortune, we have uh, over 10,000 customers globally as Software AG. And I would say it's about, I think, 70% of the Fortune 1,000 uses Software AG software. You know, it's, but it's very, very specific and not well known to the um, wider audience, the company. Yeah, and they've been around for a while. I read that they were over 50 years old. That's right. That's right. How how do you keep how do you not become Nokia? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you keep doing these these things we were talking about earlier and, and yeah. staying close to the customer? Yeah. Well, that is also one of my roles and assignments as the C CTO of Software AG, right? So um I'm I'm responsible for our uh, market vision, for our technology vision, for our technology strategy, for our portfolio um, development. And first, and uh, very important, we are in a transformation with, with Software AG. You know, we have a new management team, we have a new CEO as well. That's probably the reason why I'm still with Software AG. You know, because uh, we have um, um you know. We've agreed that if if Software wants to continue for the next 50 years, we have to transform the company. We run a project, we run a transformation program called Helix. That's our name for it. But um, it sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's um, uh, and uh, yeah, we are working very hard to um, to build the foundation for the next 50 years. While I'm saying that, we have a lot of talent in Software AG, you know, 5,000 people, great, bright talents, a lot of very good innovations. 
However, what, what we identified as well is that we have been spreading um, too thin to many in too many product areas. You know, we have been uh, we've not been specialist enough. We've not been focused enough. And that's one of the initiatives I'm driving at Software HE is you know focusing Software HE into um, a target market which. By the way, combines what I did with 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 Cumulosity, yeah, uh, with the IoT world, uh, with the integration, and our um, uh, we have also very good business process uh, tool to help our customers to transform. Uh, we do also process mining stuff and a lot of cool stuff nowadays, and 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 we have been really putting this all together. And, and, and packaging it towards a, a market vision of a, what we call a truly connected world. Yeah? And, and that helps us to, I believe, to uh, re-innovate because we identified a market opportunity, truly connected world. What this truly means, the word truly means really that we do not just see the connectedness as a key disruptor actually touching almost all industries in all uh, uh, in, 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 in globally, right? It has a new, um, you know, a complete new way how you need to manage your business. Uh? Maybe I give you some examples uh, uh, in a few minutes. Um, but I, I, you know, personally, I feel it's the most underestimated disruptor at the moment. And so, so what we do, did is we reshaped our entire company and portfolio into that direction. It's a massive growth area. And with that, we're innovating into helping companies become a connected enterprise. We call them truly connected enterprises. And that's our, our mission, really. Our mission is we help, our, we help business to turn them into truly connected enterprises. That sounds good. I like it. It passes the marketing test. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Yeah. yeah. If I have an enterprise... I want a truly connected enterprise. <laughs> yeah, actually, let me give you some examples. I guess that makes it more um, tangible. Yeah. Um, so why is that important? Because, uh, you know, when you look at customer experience, for example, you know, in the, let's say, the old way of customer experience, you looked at, at smartphone experience or PC-driven experiences. In the new way, you need to, also look into experiences across the physical world. So you cannot just look into your back office, IT office, or the internet services. You also need to combine machines, employees, um, sensors, actuators, whatever you have, cars, pumps, compressors. The customer experience in the B2B sense is redefining. Yeah, it's you have to reshape your your thinking of about experiences and 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 for example, we have a lot of engagements with clients who reshape experiences um, towards their you know product offering again in a B two B sense. Let's say you are a compressor company. You you produce compressors and you're selling compressors. What you nowadays want to do is you want to exactly know how your compressors are used. Who, who's using it? Are there issues with the uh, interface on your compressor? What's the experience when using your, 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 your product? What are the operating hours compared to the maintenance hours? How can you optimize the 
cyclades? How can you optimize the maintenance cost? How can you predict maintenance event like predictive maintenance? How can you maybe innovate new business models like everything as a service business model is becoming very viable across different industries? So connectedness enables all of that. Yeah, and that's why a lot of companies have to rethink how they operate, how they commercially offer their products. And that's why they have to think as a truly connected enterprise. Yeah, the predictable maintenance, predictable failure is something I'm seeing emerge across all industries, from cell phone towers to compressors to cars or semi-trucks. It seems this predictable maintenance, predictable failure is just becoming a standard. And if you're a company that isn't transforming yourself to meet the customer demands, it can creep up on you really fast. And then you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the teams or the people in place to respond. Whereas if you're always innovating, you have these teams, you have this as a core competency of your business. I think a large part of digital transformation or transformation for companies in general is having technology as a core competency within the organization. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely spot on. And, uh, you know, the, the funny, uh, interesting thing is I'm, I'm, you know, in my, um, I have a lot of executive engagement discussions, literally globally, uh, at the moment doing a lot of virtual uh, 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 sessions, obviously. And you know what? I'm actually, when they define what they want to do, uh, I'm actually using a, a a summary for that, and they like it a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying to most of the clients I'm engaging, listen, what you really described here is that you fully understand that software is the ultimate value driver for you going forward, right? So software is the ultimate value driver. That's how I describe it. And that's the reality. And of course, for me, as the CTO of Software AG, it's also a nice, uh, a nice twist, right? Because, um, you know, what, what we are looking for, we are an enterprise B2B software company. We have a product, we are a product company, but we are helping companies to transform into technology software-driven companies. And, and uh, it helps me a lot to position us as a company as well. What's because you're so involved with IoT and you're so experienced there, can you share with me a misconception that you see a lot, something people get wrong or don't exactly understand about IoT? Yeah, I think the, um, the current situation is um, that uh, people uh, think it's not, uh, sometimes I have a feeling that the appreciation for IoT technology and the uh, adoption of the technology is not as great as you would anticipate. And I believe that is uh, because um, a lot of successful IoT uh, propositions have IoT embedded. It's an enabler. It's not a service proposition by itself. Uh, but if you think about the most innovative companies on that planet, they're using IoT technologies. Think about Uber without IoT. Is that possible? <laughs> no, it's not. Think about um, think about you know, or, or, you know, uh, delivery companies in 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 many senses. You know, without IoT, it's not anymore really possible to deliver high quality, fast um, demand from your client base. So there's a lot of consumer technology innovators, or you know, there's hotel chains. 
which offer you a full digital experience nowadays, right? They, they use a lot of sensors, actuators to, to, you don't have to queue up at the reception anymore. You go into your room, you have your, your code on your, your Bluetooth enabled access code and you, you enter the room and you leave. The bill is automated in the background. You don't need to queue at the check, checkout. All of that, the whole interaction are based on sensor technologies, which are connected to some sort of an IoT platform in the background. Right. And that's um, uh, often not seen so that by people originally anticipated we have 50, 100 billion devices connected in that IoT world, they feel it not happening. But in reality, I think uh, last time I read a report with Gartner, I think they, they counted 30 billion uh, devices already connected in the background. Right. And, and people do not realize that they don't see it. And I think that's a, a misconception. I think uh, what I see is very successful uptake. We are growing. We are growing on our IoT portfolio, sixty uh, percent last year, and we have a, a, a multi-million euro business. So it's um, it's uh, uh, in total now in that domain. I think uh, if I count everything here, um, it's about hundred million uh, recurring business in the IoT domain, it's uh, recurring, it's different than perpetual, you know the difference. I mean, in today's world, um, ARR, is, it's very typical uh, KPI. So it's a massive business and we are growing that a lot. And I do believe that um, there's a misconception about hundreds of players out there and it's not really working, it's still proof of concepts and pilots. I would say no, I, I see a lot of successful projects for example, you know, uh, we have a, a, a very uh, strategic engagement with Stanley Black and Decker in uh, in the US, uh, and we are actually there in Stanley X. That's the innovation uh, innovation focused um, uh, department which delivers digital products to all the Stanley in-house line of businesses. You know, I think they have tens of different businesses, you know, from drilling machines to big uh, caterpillars to automatic uh, doors. I mean, there's a lot of different, I mean, Stanley Black & Decker is a massive industrial uh, company. And, and uh, our platform sits on all of these digitalization initiatives they're having. And it's, uh, you know, I, I see very successful traction there with their digitalization campaigns in these different areas. But people then, you know, when when the when you enter a, a grocery grocery store, and the door opens, you don't know that is fully connected, and the maintenance cycles are automated, and and people are repairing it on a dynamic uh, a routing plan. You know, they are they are they are they are maintaining is not just once every three months. Uh, but they are coming based on 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 demand, on on uh, analyzers, and on predictions. And these engineers, they are visiting these different automatic doors on a dynamic uh, routing. Yeah, so they are cutting out massively on cost for maintaining these doors, and they are selling uh, now to shops not just the door, but the availability of a working door. Right. So they are really innovating in that sense, and. And this is not seen to, to most people, right? But there is a, a real transformation behind these type of propositions. That's so interesting. 
that is really really cool it and they they seem to be putting it in everything these days you can get you know iot wi-fi connected laundry machines oven microwaves tea kettles right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah you need it a lot of consumer products are enabled by that but you what would consumers see the consumers see um something you know a, a proposition which is not iot you know iot is maybe it's a technology term for insiders like us but not really for for the wider public yeah? and but also in the business sense i do see a lot of uh, companies still not sure about the new way of connectedness you know these should they really become a connected enterprise or not you know and why aren't they uh, sure because I believe that has to do with how they define their business. Let me explain what I mean with that. Actually, I had a, a few months ago, I had a very interesting um, discussion with Guy Kawasaki. I guess you, you, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So we had a very good uh, discussion and, and, and he has that, uh, uh, he has that uh, uh, concept of mantra. Do you know that uh, companies, I, feel, I like that a lot. A lot of um, businesses, they haven't really defined their mantra. You know, what are they in? What is their business? And, you know, I have a, a, a client, um, uh, unfortunately, I cannot name the, the, uh, the company name, but they are one of the largest global um, elevate, elevator providers, you know. And so you think elevators? Yeah, they're producing elevators. So what? Now they are defining themselves, they're redefining themselves. We have a strategic engagement with them. And they are saying, no, I'm not an elevator company. I'm a transportation company. I'm transporting 1.5 billion people every day with my product. 1.5 billion people every day with my product. But I'm not a horizontal transportation company. I'm a vertical transportation company. Yes. <laughs> That's how they define it. But now you have a different way of perspective. Right? If you define yourself as a transportation company, you have to think, so what? how can I maybe monetize? Or you, before that, maybe you have to think, how can I improve the experience? That's where I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. How can I improve the experience of people using my products? And they are actually, you know, have uh, ideas like, listen, why do you have to stand in front of the elevators and push the button all the time to wait for an elevator? Shouldn't the elevator wait for you? Question mark. Shouldn't the elevator know where you want to go? Question mark. And so they're really redefining because they changed the position of being an engineering company developing elevators or you know installing elevators. They changed completely the position of being a transportation company improving experiences of their clients. And then they're also thinking about digital signage, about information they could show in this place. They are actually, um, you know, they have, they have a, a massive amount of innovations developed now, you know, uh, which they are rolling out based on our platform globally. Yeah? And, and that's the new way of thinking at your business. And when answering your question, Shouldn't every company become a connected enterprise? I think yes. However, if you do not redefine the way in which business you operate, you do not you know, generate the need for it, the requirement to transform. And I think you know, a lot of companies haven't 
yet reshaped their mantra. What is the what what are they what do they really would like to achieve going forward? That's one of the things I like about Elon Musk is he seems to constantly be rethinking products and experiences with a with a high level of quality, and I find this a recurring theme for me. Is I find that companies that still have their founders, they tend to do better. Uh, because they have somebody who feels responsible, who can be a figurehead, versus it just being board managed by a successive board each year and money changing hands between private equity firms and things like that. When there, when there's a person, uh, someone who can be responsible, they they tend to be an active participant and and question these things and how they can improve and grow their product, how they can rethink. Yes, so um, I like to um, agree with you a lot here, and I, I even so I'm using different words. Yeah, but in my words is, uh, do you want to have a financial uh, management team managing your company? What what do you expect as a customer experience from a financial driven company? It will be like having an AI algorithm run your company. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So and. And entrepreneurs have a different way of managing a company. They look at the experiences. They look at the visions. They look at reshaping, uh, you know, things. And, and and they see opportunities behind the corner, which, you know, other people don't. And, and I think that's why there's so much passion in entrepreneurs managing the company. That's why I think, you know, you see the difference, you feel the difference. And, you know, it's, it's exactly like you, what you pointed out, just with different words in my, in my view. Yeah. Well, I want to do a call to action for people who are listening that they're interested in learning more about like truly connected enterprises, maybe having a conversation with you or one of your teammates. Where do they go? Do they go to Cumulosity, Software AG? Yes, they go to um, the Software AG webpage and they can uh, contact uh, us there easily in the region. So it's directed to the regions. I'm also very happy to go and contact me um, directly or on my LinkedIn uh, account. Uh, and uh, yes, we are, in that sense, we are, Software is like a bit like a startup. It's a mixture of a large corporate. We are solid. We are, uh, you know, robust from our from our delivery processes. Financially very strong, but we have a agility of a startup. So it's a good mixture, and I believe um, that makes us so uh, attractive for very large corporates to help them transform. Uh, not only we, we typically come not just with products and sell products and run away. We tend to stay with them. We tend to we help our clients to become successful. That's our ambition. That's also my personal ambition. We have the commercial model is based on that. So we have um, a, a model which enables us to jointly create success. And um, and I think people feel that can uh, you know um, you know experience it, and that's why. Um, you know, they like to work with us. And so that's kind of a, you know, beside technology, it's one of our USPs. We are a mid-sized software company with a, a very familiar, easy access to the management, entire management team, and, and, and really want to turn our clients' projects into success. That's really the ambition what we have. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.